Hey everyone, I'm Pranay Parikh. Uh, I am from Ascent Equity Group and from MD to Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm here with Alex and Aziz, Screw the Stock Market Podcast. Super excited to talk about how I was able to buy $250 million worth of real estate in the past 16 months and help thousands of doctors change their lives passively. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning into the show. You know, it means so much to me and Aziz that you are actually listening, that there's people really listening to the show. Um, we're having fun with it, and we hope that you're getting a lot of value too. Education is just one of the first steps that anyone should take when they're on a journey towards financial freedom or personal development. And so it's great, you're doing the right things. Um, I want to suggest a second step that you might want to consider if a lot of the things that we're talking about on the show are resonating with you. Consider visiting our website, legatoinvest.com invest. And there, there's a button where you can click to gain access to our opportunities. And what will happen is you'll schedule a call with us. We'll talk, we'll get on a Zoom, and we'll get to know your, your investment experience. We'll get to know you. We'll, we'll learn about your objectives. And then if it's a good fit, we'll actually start to present you with real investment opportunities from time to time. And you'll be in the driver's seat where you can say, no, I don't like that one. And yes, I do like that one. And those real decisions, that means that you're actually in the game towards your financial freedom. So uh, consider visiting legatoinvest.com slash invest. Again, that's L-E-G-A-D-O invest.com slash invest. Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us on Screw the Stock Market. Uh, today, uh, we are talking with Pranay Parikh. Uh, and you are, uh, Pranay is an apartment syndicator who has been able to acquire a lot of real estate uh, pretty fast. And uh, we're excited to hear about his journey and learn a little bit more about how you do what you do. Thanks for being with us today, Pranay. Like 200. Two hundred and fifty yeah, million dollars worth of real estate. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, but a uh, quarter billion, yeah. So, oh, that's cool. Billion. That's that's a, lot. that's a cool way of phrasing it. A quarter billion, uh, <laughs> only. <laughs> well, awesome. We're, we're excited to have you with us. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your beginnings and kind of where you started from, and then we can jump into kind of your journey towards um, towards real estate and world domination. <laughs> so, you know, I, I won the lottery by being born where I was. You know, my uh, I was born in California in the U.S., U.S. citizen. And uh, my parents came from India, born and raised. And my dad, uh, which I visited, came from a small town, middle of nowhere, you know, barely have running water. Uh, and he uh, did education, became an engineer, was brought to Silicon Valley as an electrical engineer, you know, and really that more than anything else in my life has changed his trajectory. But his parents wanted him to be a doctor and he was, he could barely get like an injection without uh, fainting. Uh, and so he's like, don't worry, I'm going to be an engineer but my kids will be doctors. And actually, he got pretty lucky that both uh, my son, uh, my uh, sorry, my brother and I are both medical doctors in the US. He's an ER doc, I'm a hospitalist. And, you know, so I did that. I graduated residency. And like most of your listeners, I realized that, you know, I could have done the 401k and all that stuff. And, you know, 20 or 30 years later, yes, I'd have a good nest egg and I'd be able to retire. But 
I don't know. Those are the prime years of my life. I wanted to retire or at least cut down a lot earlier than that. And, you know, I want to practice medicine the way I want to practice. I don't want to be forced to work. And so that's why I looked at real estate. And actually, initially, I didn't do syndications or what is called passive real estate, um, which I will uh, explain in a little bit. But I did active real estate which is what you guys know. You know, you go out, you buy a property and you're a landlord. And um, it, was, it was okay. I, I, but what I realized is I, I got super lucky and I hit a home run. After my first property, which was four units, um, you know, a couple blocks from the water in LA, that I spent hundreds of hours trying to look for my next property. And it just, I should have just been working instead, you know. Uh, and I re- that's when I found passive real estate. I realized that I can invest in other people, almost like a hedge fund, that go out, find the property, renovate it, and sell it. They take a little bit of return, right? There's a little bit of fees. Uh, but 95% of the work is done, you know, for me. And uh, if anything, they're able to run it in a much more efficient way than I can as a medical doctor. And, you know, I was working full time up until pretty recently. And so... After that, I, I realized that there wasn't much education, uh, and I really like education. I usually teach at the medical school after I graduated uh, about passive real estate or syndication. So my partner and I created a course, and we had thousands of mostly doctors, but dentists, pharmacists take our course. And after that, we thought we were done. You know, we taught everyone how to find these deals, to vet them, negotiate, but. I'd say 80% of them came up to us and they were like, yeah, you know, now we understand everything you do. We don't want to do it. It's too much work, you know? So um, you're already investing in deals. Why don't we bring everyone together, all our money together? Um, We can get into better deals and we can have better terms. And that's how Ascend Equity Group came. And over time, we've realized that not only are we a small piece, but now we can buy the whole deal ourselves. That's awesome. That's awesome. How long ago was this? So we created a course probably in 2019. Uh, and uh, we created a Ascent Equity Group in 2020. So not that long oh, ago. Oh, wow. So, so it's really recent. And you've been able to get that much momentum that quickly. You know, if you do the right thing for long enough and for the right audience, I, I think you can bring people along. Wow. Okay. That's really exciting. So tell us a little bit about the course. and. And I'm going to actually... Yeah. So uh, the course, uh, you know, it's uh, created on Kajabi and it's basically goes from not knowing anything about real estate to be able to find these deals, you know, and these deals used to call, be called country club deals because prior to 2012, only certain people were able to invest in it, you know, and even now uh, our deals, you have to be an accredited investor, which means you make over $200,000 per year for two years or $300,000 as a couple for two years, or have a net worth over a million dollars. Or finally, and this might be good for your audience, there's a couple tests you can take. Uh, and they're uh, the Series 65, Series 7. But it's, you know, it's a math test, uh, tells you that you understand uh, different investments. Um, and a lot of you know, stock people take it. But it's good for uh, people that want to get into alternative investments as well. So 
we created the course for them to teach them how to do it, you know, find good deals. Because what our biggest issue was, um, and we have a blog, we have a conference where people were getting into bad deals uh, without the proper education. And that's, you know, as a doctor, as a high net worth person, as any professional, um, a lot of times you have a target on your back. You know, a lot of uh, people will try to get you into these uh, mutual funds that have high fees or they'll try to get you into real estate that has high fees. So our goal was just to educate people and that's why we created the course. Very exciting. So so your your audience for the course is specifically geared towards the passive investor so that they can be able to vet among many opportunities who the good operators are, what the good uh, deals are and kind of what's a realistic projection and a, a lot of those basics. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And assumptions, right? Because with what you put into the the model, so there's a, a big Excel spreadsheet, you could change a couple numbers and the the returns could go from, you know, 15% to 20%. So how realistic uh, are those numbers? And, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, but I don't know about Jacksonville or I don't know about Austin, Texas, or I don't know about Indianapolis. You don't need to know the specifics. You just need to look at, are these numbers and percentage like if they're saying they're going to increase rent by 10%, right? That's 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 way too high. But if they're saying 3%, you know, that's a pretty reasonable number and you could extrapolate that for pretty much anywhere in the US. Very interesting. Okay. Um so from the course, you essentially then went on to build a community and once you had a community, you were positioned to just mobilize lots of money and direct them at deals. So are you finding the deals yourself? Are you an operator or are you managing a fund where you are investing in other operators' deals? It's a great question. We're kind of in the middle and it's a unique position that we're in. So the deals come to us, actually. We don't have to go out and find the deals. And that's because we provide a lot of value to the operators, the ones that are running the day-to-day. So, for example, we handle all the investors. We will bring all the money, uh, but we also will help them with operations. So the way I explain it to our doctors is, say you own uh, own, uh, like a 7-Eleven, right? And you're working every day there. They're nine to five, right? Nine to five, you're working every day. So that means you're exhausted by the end of the day. You don't really have time to be thinking, how do I bring in more customers? Or maybe I should change the price of X, Y, and Z. You know, that's the operators. But because we're not handling the maintenance, the leasing, all that stuff, you know, we're able to think bigger picture and how do we maximize profit for all of our investors. So, you know, that plus all the money is a big win for the operators. And so they'll bring us deals. And uh, some of these deals are insane. So for example, we closed on a deal in August uh, 22nd of this year. So, you know, about a couple months from now when interest rates were in the sixes and sevens. But our this deal had an interest rate of 2.9% for nine years, which is a killer deal. You know, anyone would uh, love that deal. But it was brought to us. We're like, yeah, we want that one. They brought like a couple to us, but we're like, yeah, we specifically want this one. And, you know, interest rates are even higher now. Actually, uh, since then, interest rates have gone up, you know, almost 2%, you know? So because of the value we bring to them and then for our investors, we're also, not only are we 
bringing them the deal, negotiating. But because we're in operations, we have real control over what happens and what doesn't happen. Very interesting. Okay. Please, you're a mute. Sorry. So in terms of the operators that you're working with, how are you, um, are you marketing to get them or are they just, how are they finding you essentially? So that is the people that we're going out to find because we want a very specific caliber of operators. So uh, people that have billions of dollars that they're managing, you know, they have a crazy track record that they've bought and sold, you know, tens of properties. They have returns in the 20% per year. Uh, So, you know, we go out, we make these connections, but we're able to vet sponsors at a much deeper level than I could myself personally, right? Since we tell them, hey, we're going to write you checks of $15 million, they give us all their books. You know, they show us all their properties. And so we're able to get a much deeper appreciation for what's actually going on with these operators than even I could do on myself, by myself. Now, in terms of scaling, though, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you didn't start off with the ability to write $15 million checks right off the bat. So how did you entice the first group of operators that you worked with um, in terms of getting them to kind of bring deals to you? Um, did you just kind of go with lower scale operators um, that had a less, you know, high end, pro, you know, uh, background or uh, I mean, how did you go about it? Or were you able to just kind of right off the bat raise large amounts of capital quickly? And if so, how? Sorry, that's a multi-loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's one of the nice things about not being in real estate because we didn't know what we couldn't do, right? So our our very first operator um, that I'm still in contact with, they have 30 years, they've been in business for 30 years, which in real estate is forever. Um, never lost money, had done really well. And I just didn't know. And uh, actually, actually I, my partner, business partner, I have two business partners, all three of us are doctors. I was having, we were reminiscing that uh, this one person that's very well known in Texas, he said, you know, this one operator, like, why would they ever give you the time of the day? You know, and we've done probably like four or five deals with them since then. But had we, had we known that or had we listened to these people that we cannot work with this caliber of people, then we would have been small time. You know, our very first deal was $3 million, so it wasn't big, but uh, we, didn't, we didn't know that we shouldn't be talking to this caliber of people, you know. And so we, uh, we have grown, you know, $3 million, next one's $10 million, and it's just keep pushing ourselves. But the reason we're able to do that is because we create an audience just like you have with this podcast, you know, before, before we needed it. So we had the course, but my business partner, he, has, he had a brand, uh, a blog, we'd done conferences, he has his own podcast. So he built that uh, and then I joined that um, before, we need, before we created this company. So, you know, it's, a, it's an overnight success, but 10 years in the making like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it takes time. And, and I think, I think the fact that you started with the course, which is interesting, I think that's a really smart model because I don't know if you're selling the course, but the, it, it could be an income stream in and of itself that could lead to an audience yes. and, a, and a community that can then yeah. get you where you are, which is really exciting. That's really smart, uh, to smart to start with a really smaller, relatively smaller value add product like that. Um, so, 
okay, so now we're investing, we're doing all these deals. What are some of the big uh, lessons that you'd like our audience, maybe people who are interested in passive investing, um, what are some of the valuable lessons that you think they should take away from, from this interview? You know, one thing I'd want people to remember is, you know, you you listen to this story and you're like, wow, this, these guys are just always successful. But I promise you, every single time we raise money, we're like, shoot, we're like, okay, we can't do this. We can't do this. Like, it's too big. Like, okay, what are we going to do? And we, you know, I actually have um, uh, my, my business partner, one of them is our resident contrarian. He's the one that says the world is always ending. Like, we're going to fail at this, you know? And... Uh, a lot of times, like, he's right that we would have if we didn't think about that. So we're like, okay, what are we going to do? You know, and it's been tough. Like, I was the very first raise, it was $3 million, which now seems tiny, but it was a lot of money. For, and most people start off for their first raise, like $250, $500, you know, a million dollars. And I was on the phone, I was texting people. It was a full-time job, you know, and our next... Our, our next deal was a fund, kind of like what you had mentioned, which has multiple deals in one. Apparently, people have to have this huge track record to do a fund. And no one told me. So I was like, hey, let's do a fund. We'll get a bunch of deals in one. It sounds so great. We'll have diversification. Um, and we went from a minimum on our first deal of 25000 to to 100000 I was like, yeah, we know plenty of rich people. 100000 is a lot of money. A lot of money to put down, right? Uh, and now I know that, but it's like, I was like on the phone, I was like, hey guys, like we really need this money. Like it's a really good investment and the fund is killing it. But it's, a lot of it is like running into issues and growing, you know, it's um, that next one uh, after that was three and a half million, you know, and that went well. And then we did like a eight million and a 15, you know, after that, but it's, it's pushing yourself, right? A lot of times we're like, okay, whew, that was tough. Let's take it easy next time. No, you push, you know, this other deal um, earlier this, this year, this year. Um, so, you know, we were raising money for a deal and the economy just tanked, right? What do you do? Like, what do you do? You can't just be like, oh yeah, I'm walking away because we have, you put down a down payment, right? Um, just like if you buy a house, you're like, hey, to the seller, here's $200,000 or something, right? And you get to keep this if I walk away, right? Uh, now think about if you're buying a $50 million property, right? That that d deposit or down payment, uh, earnest money that you're paying is a lot of money. So you could potentially lose it, you know? And what do we do? You're asking for investors when people aren't sure what's going to happen. This is like in March or April of this year. And you just go out and you just explain to people like, hey, it's like the stock market that's falling apart. If anything, you should actually invest more in real estate, you know. And then another deal fell into our laps, the 2.9%. And it was two weeks after this first one closed. The one that we had a lot of difficulty raising money for, you know. Uh, and uh, at least in the beginning, so what do you do? Do you say no to this amazing deal uh, once in a lifetime for now, right? Um, and this is when interest rates were into fives and sixes. You know, we're like, okay, let's try to figure it out. Like it's work, but it's pushing yourself outside of that bubble that you created. You know, trying to feel uncomfortable. And uh, every single time we try to do something different. This last raise we just did, we opened like a week ago, and we raised ten million in like 
eight days. And that's because we had done all these difficult things before, you know? Um, and of course, it, you have to start with a good product, right? You can't, you can't and you shouldn't want to sell something that sucks, right? You could, but, you know, it'll catch back up to you. But we know the product is good. The investment is good. Uh, but it's pushing ourselves. And now I'm like, man, maybe we should have got a bigger deal, you know? Why was it so easy? But we didn't know. We didn't know how easy it was going to be because, you know, now we're what? We're like so far into the economy. Everyone's talking about a recession coming up. You have no idea. So we're going to find another deal and maybe bigger, you know? And so the 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 key point, no matter what, what your type of investing, and maybe you're buying your own investments, is to just keep pushing yourself, you know? Keep, like if you... If you don't feel like you're about to fail at least once a month, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Or if you haven't failed at something in six months, then you definitely aren't pushing yourself hard enough. Very interesting. You know, it's funny that you it's funny that you mention um, that you know you wish you had gone with a bigger deal because a lot of times that's a, a common thread that we hear with a lot of people once they start on this path. And you know, we always ask them, "So what's what's a regret that you have?" And they're like, "Well, one regret that I had is that I should have gone bigger at the beginning." Um, and it's always kind of, kind of, it seems contrarian in your thought process. Cause how can you expect to go bigger when you barely know what you're doing at the beginning and you're trying to figure out and you're muddled through. And in terms of asking for money, you're essentially going to the people, you know, and you can only go to them so often, you know, they're not going to be pulling out multi-million dollar pocketbooks at a time. So it's always difficult to kind of put that idea together. Like how could have I gone bigger at the beginning? Um, so like, what, what, what could you say in regards to that? How could you have gone bigger at the beginning? Well, you just said you don't know people that are going to give multi-million dollar checks. So where do you go out and find them? Right. And there are plenty of people that do that. Uh, and you know, it's hard in the beginning when you don't have a track record. Um, so how, how do you build that up? How do you build up? Maybe you buy your own, you do a flipping business and you buy your own real estate smaller, you know, uh, and, or maybe you partner with other people that have done it and use their network. So the uh, you know, for us, our trajectory, I don't think we could have done it, or I don't think I would want to have done it differently. Um, and even this deal, you know, uh, this deal is the first one we picked in a while. Uh, but so I would have loved this deal to have be bigger, but it was the reason we got it was because of its size, you know, and it was the exact deal we needed. But now we're like, especially this time. Of day, the other thing is also cycles, right? So a lot of people are realizing that it's the end of the year. They promised themselves that they were going to make some investments and they haven't. So they're rushing in or they have all these gains that they need to offset with depreciation. And so uh, we are realizing that the end of the year normally for investments is kind of slow, but for people interested in passive real estate, it's actually a hot time. That's a really interesting takeaway. You know, like I'll say that in, in the raises we've had, like there's always this huge uncertainty, right? I know my network and and I've done 506Bs where I'm only allowed to, to to make the offering to people who I already know. And you're doing the ones where you're only open to accredited investors, meaning you could open it up to someone who you can do advertising and you can do all sorts of things. But if I have my circle that I know, but I have no idea how much money's in their pockets, right? And then yeah, you know, with the the economy the way it's been, I, I definitely felt a sense of people kind of tightening up and people feeling 
fear and feeling their losses in the stock market and, and all these things. And so it has been actually a pretty challenging time. But I do think you're right that, um, you know, the, the people with the deepest pockets are probably still going to be okay and they still will be able to invest. Uh, and so um, it's, it's probably a, a, a more scalable business to focus on the accredited investor because someone like that could, in theory, write three or four checks a year with you, right? Why not? Or more. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the thing is to think about, okay, so I have this idea that people will invest maybe once or twice per year maximum, right? So if you want to do double the deals, you need to double your list, right? Or you can try to get people to invest more often. And that's what we've been looking at. So our list has grown 50% since August, uh, August or July. And we have been actively trying to do that. And mostly that's through marketing. We go to conferences, we sponsor events. I, I'm on like two or three podcasts a day, wow. you know? So... Uh, it's uh, I, and I have my own podcast as well. So it's how do you increase that list um, because you still want to get people in, and you know it, that transition is a little tough. I, I'd say five hundred six B to five hundred six C because then you are a lot of times uh, excluding people who are five hundred six B, and that kind of sucks because that's the people that helped you grow in the first place. So I don't envy that decision. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean. Uh, you know, I, I think in, in, in our experience, it's been, you know, that's one of the things that made me most excited about this is to make these uh, opportunities available to people who might otherwise not have. And I've had one or two people say, I've wanted to invest, but I couldn't because I wasn't accredited. Thank you for this opportunity. But then yeah. most of the time, the, you know, I'll get people who want to invest and then when they see what that minimum investment is, they don't do it. And at the end of the day, a lot of times, the only people who actually invest tend to be accredited. So it's it's unclear. And I think, I'm not sure which way to go either, but I see the pros and the cons of each. Um, so, okay. Yeah, you just got to help those uh, unaccredited people become accredited. Oh yeah, that's the goal. Um, so let's see. So. Right now, um, t tell me a little bit more about how you've grown your list. So you, you, you said you're on podcasts all the time. How are you getting on podcasts? I'm, I'm planning a podcast tour myself, yeah. so I definitely would appreciate some of that. So uh, I, I hired an agency called Interview Valet. Um, they're awesome, but very expensive. So uh, it, it depends on if you have a team um, if you have a team versus uh, if you are doing it yourself. Um, so now I have a team, so I'm able to have them apply for me to be on podcasts. Uh, it's really hard to get a, figure out like an actual ROI from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it's nice to do. It gives you a lot of credibility, but there isn't a huge ROI, at least initially. So um, I don't know yet if it's a great use of my time. I just like talking to people. So um, awesome. one of my goals is to meet interesting people through my podcast, uh, my podcast, and guesting on other people. So in that, it's a huge success, you know. Uh, so that is difficult. We've done Facebook ads. We've sponsored conferences. 
uh, we and then we have that media company so uh, that my partner has so that gives us a lot of free advertisement uh, because uh, you know he's out there he has his own podcast uh, he has a blog we have the course so the course has you know anywhere from 500 to a thousand people every year so that's people that would be interested in us uh, and so uh, I think our cost for acquisition um, would be a lot more if we didn't have that brand. Sure. Uh, so, um, but for for you guys, I would probably double down on uh, the podcast, and I would think about where your, uh, you know, and there's actually a clear um, uh, epiphany that I had recently. Like most people, most podcasts that I go on the audience are not my ideal client. Like mostly I go on real estate podcasts and more likely there are people that want to be who I am, you know, mm-hmm. um, or or are more successful than me, which is cool too, you know. Uh, but um, this podcast would actually be closer to my audience, you know, people that are professionals that um, don't want to invest in the stock market because it sucks and how how's that sixty forty uh, portfolio doing? It's sucking right now. Bonds are sucking too, right? So uh, that is much more ideal, you know. Um, uh, it would be great if everyone was accredited investors, but hey, we all start somewhere, you know. Uh, and so I think being more selective um, with where I go to, uh, but also in the beginning, I'm fine, you know. I was on like the best ever podcast and all, a lot of these like other podcasts where. I'm building credibility, right? So now when people search my name, they're like, oh, wow, this dude, this dude does nothing else than sit on his butt and be on podcasts. Uh, and uh, which I actually, I love podcasts. So um, I think a lot of people uh, use that. So um, I would, for you, I, I would try to go for people that are uh, like in other like I'd go on an engineering podcast, right? Mm-hmm. I would go on a, you know, I'd go on engineering, I'd go on a, like a pharmacist podcast, or I'd go, I'd be like, hey, here's my message about that the the, the stock market is not for everyone. You need to have a well-balanced portfolio um, and X, Y, and Z, you know, and bring them back to your podcast and uh, then you can kind of warm up that lead. Sorry, I don't know if that was that. No, that's awesome. <laughs> that question, that's very but... good advice. <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Pranay, tell us a little bit more about your specific podcast. I'm curious uh, just about what your show's yeah. about. Yeah, so it's called um, From MD to Entrepreneur. Let me see. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So. <laughs> I like it. Oh, and then I would definitely get one of these guys. They're like, they're from, it's called Impact and uh, they're super cool. It's like, uh, they're like 50 bucks or something. And you could even have like multiple brands. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, for those that can't see, it's, it's just my logo under my microphone. So it looks like very professional. It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's called from MD to entrepreneur. It kind of talks about my journey becoming an entrepreneur, you know, cause a lot of people, especially, uh, many of us first generation, they want us to be, you know, doctors, lawyers, and engineers, right? But what happens after you become one of those, right? That's not the uh, end of it all, right? And it, you don't necessarily get the life that you want just by becoming one of those, right? You get a decent salary, but you're still trading your time for money, you know? 
And that that sucks, you know. And uh, um, I don't know about law or uh, or engineering, but a lot of medicine is changing, you know, and it's becoming a lot more corporate. I was actually talking to an anesthesiologist earlier today, and she was like, "Yeah, some private equity company tried to buy her practice and just make it a lot worse to work at, you know, um, because they don't understand. They see they try to optimize for the dollar and don't necessarily think about patients or doctors or burnout or any of that. So what you need to try to make that uh, more tolerable is money, right? You need to be able to buy back your time. So I was talking to her. She's 49 years old uh, and really in her prime of her life, but she still has to do 24-hour shifts. Like, could you imagine doing 24-hour shifts? At what? Imagine podcasting for 24 hours. Like, that would suck, right? And uh, she still has to do nights as well, right? And she has three kids. And so she, uh, I was like, yeah, you should need to buy back your time. Like, try to figure out how much money do you need to make? And first, like, do you even need to make that much? Like, are you willing to take a pay cut not to have to do those shifts? But if you reach a certain amount, then you... Let's see how you can make money elsewhere. And it doesn't have to be passive like in real estate. It could be active. Like maybe she starts a business or she buys a business, right? And so it's the whole podcast is about kind of my journey as an entrepreneur, multiple businesses, the podcast, and also talking to industry experts that have done uh, just interesting stuff. And I try to really balance it out. So I had this recent podcast about... um, all the trauma that we've go through um, as we're growing up and how it limits us and keeps us thinking small and not to the best of our ability. I talked about this other one where entrepreneurship is super lonely and it is, right? Like I, I'm in this small little house in the back of my place uh, by myself, you know, uh, and I get to co- talk to cool people like Alex and Aziz, but it's still, you know, it's something about not being able to meet up, shake hands, talk in person. So how do you combat that, you know? Um, so try to really keep it um, all different aspects of entrepreneurship because I love how the hustle culture is um, is encouraged now and people are looking into uh, side hustles or side gigs. But I feel that a lot of times only the positives are emphasized. So I try to emphasize really it all holistically. No, I think that's really key and that's really important. Um, I know like, you know, I've discussed this before and Alex and I have talked about it before, um, just in terms of like our families and our upbringings. Uh, Well, I mean, I guess a little bit less with you because your dad is more entrepreneurial, but uh, I know with my, yeah, with my parents, they're kind of got to become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know, go that track and then you just buckle down and you just work until you die. Um, which is essentially what my brother and I both did. I mean, I did law and he did medicine. Um, But, you know, when I try to show them that I'm trying to do different things outside the spectrum, they have a hard time understanding and the risks associated with them kind of frighten them a little bit. Um, So having those conversations and kind of figuring out how to manage that and get that work-life balance, I think it's really key and important in the process. And it's something that's not really addressed as much. It's just work hard, work hard. You got to put in the work, but, you know, you got to figure out how to do that and manage your life as well. They'll come around eventually. My dad's in most of our deals. Oh, how cool. <laughs> That's good. How cool. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think the three of us as children of immigrants, right? Like, it's it's a really special thing because we all have that, like, you know, every, we, we saw more than anyone, I guess, how much they sacrificed. I remember my parents, like, missing their family and missing out on 
funerals and weddings and all that stuff just to give us that other opportunity for, for something better. And so we have this drive and that's, that's really um, something I think a lot of, you know, we're all from different countries, I guess, but we all have that in common, which is a big driver, I think, in, in that community. Um, yeah, and I've been trying to think about how to instill that in my uh, my son. Uh, and, you know, without, uh, you know, I always thought we were like a lower middle class, but, you know, we were pretty well middle class. You know, we could have afforded a lot of stuff. Like uh, that PlayStation I really wanted and my dad never bought me. <laughs> could have. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it, it gave me that uh, that desire and thirst, right, to work hard and buy the things that I wanted and provide for my family, right? So this is, uh, you know, now I have a PlayStation. So it's going to be how, you know, how do I keep my kids from uh, from having everything they want, you know, and still to have that thirst and hunger to succeed and make it out on themselves. You know, it's 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 kind of funny that you say that. Uh, I was just reading um, some sort of random news blurb uh, about a day or two ago about a Chinese man who won $32 million in China. And he came in to collect the money in a costume so no one could see what he looked like. And you're assuming because, you know, he doesn't want, you know, people coming after him for his money or whatnot. No, his main concern was that he didn't want his wife and son to know that he had money now because he didn't <laughs> want them to get lazy and not continue to work hard. <laughs> You know, actually winning the lottery in the U.S. is actually very dangerous. The chance of you dying or dying by suicide is actually very high. Um, so it's actually one of the worst things that can happen to you. Very counterintuitive. Yeah, I've, read, I've read that. I think it's because a lot of them are just not really prepared for the wealth. Um, a lot of them tend to come from like very like kind of poor backgrounds. So they just kind of go insane with the money. They either blow through it really quickly and they're depressed that there's nothing left or they become very paranoid and isolated from the people around them, which also leads them going downhill. So, yeah, uh, I think money management is key. Learning how to invest it, how to take care of it and how to grow it. Yeah, if I, I think if I had like 10, 50 million, I don't think probably have a nicer car. But not much else would change. You know, I'd still be doing this business uh, and maybe I'd have a couple other businesses. You know, we were we were talking about exit plans for our business and we were like, uh, I guess we could sell it, but what would I do? I'd just go and start another business. So why would I sell this business that I'm having a lot of fun in and I'm helping a lot of people if I have to go out and build another business from scratch? So, you know, we're, we're in this for the long run and we want to really give people the best real estate investment we can. Now, in terms of that, in terms of like the future ideas for your you know, your fund and your business right now, what are your plans? Like, how are you going to continue to continue growing it? Um, are you just going to continue with the same path of what you've been doing and just kind of double down on it and hope you get even more investors so you can buy more properties? Or do you vision pivoting into something different, um, utilizing really like resources? Yeah, we really like what we do. There's, um, I went to this conference and there's a guy that does something similar, but a much larger scale. They have a fund and what they do is kind of like venture capital, meaning that they go in, they provide some money, but they also provide expertise to these smaller groups that are in real estate and help the company grow over time. And they get a percentage of future profits and all that stuff. So I'd love to be venture capital, but for real estate. And then that way you get exposure to all this other stuff, like stuff you don't even understand, right? Like 
racetracks or like casinos or like self-storage, you know? So it'd be cool to provide capital. And, you know, a lot of times you can help people that uh, maybe don't look like you normally think of people that look like in, uh, uh, you know, the, the older Caucasian, you know, white Protestant, like to give more opportunity to people like us, or, you know, just across the board. Um, and so uh, we can be more inclusive uh, and uh, take some more bets, you know, um, with uh, with a fund. So I, I think overall, I think we'd like to move to the fund structure, uh, but we're, we're kind of building up towards that. I'm not going to lie. I've always had a, a dream of being on the shark tank and just kind of being sitting in one of those chairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I can, I can, I can identify with that. Awesome. Uh, Pranay, it's been really amazing uh, talking to you. You have uh, just such an easygoing attitude. It's to accomplish what you've accomplished. I would imagine that you must have been going 100 miles an hour, but you, you, you're you so soft-spoken and gentle and peaceful. It's it's kind of a cool dichotomy. It's it's awesome to see <laughs> a nice guy going far and winning and, and, and doing good things. And and it seems like you really have um, a, a lot of values in why you do what you do, and so it's really awesome to see a good person doing good work and getting ahead. Uh, it's really awesome to meet you. Yeah, you know, I was reading about um, the dude that started In and Out, you know, and uh, he had a bunch of options to cut corners, right? And he said, you know, we'll cut corners on everything except ingredients. Right. And that's why in and out uh, you guys might not have it uh, elsewhere, but in, in California, it's, it's the best, you know, people are and, loyal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People are loyal. You know, there's always, always a line, you know, people wait an hour for in and out because they don't sacrifice, right. They, they've stuck to their values about ingredients, about family, nothing's frozen, you know, um, and uh, this article I was reading, it was a lot of people make decisions based on spreadsheets, right? A spreadsheet decides that, you know, maybe this lettuce is cheaper from India or something, you know, some, just something. Or maybe if they uh, freeze their patties, it'll last a day longer, you know? And it makes sense if you're just in front of a computer looking at these spreadsheets. But when you're really thinking about the people, the quality, it makes the world of a difference. And those compound together, right? And there's so few people that are doing the right thing uh, for long enough that it's pretty easy, you know? And like, I don't do anything different. Like we do real estate, right? People have been doing real estate for over a hundred years, but the way we approach it is a little bit different. And I think people uh, resonate with that. Awesome. Uh, Pranay, thank you again for being on the show. Um, uh, really, it's been a pleasure meeting you and I hope uh, we'll be able to keep in touch. Cool. Uh, do you want me to go over the, the website and the email? Uh, yeah, please feel free. Feel yeah. free. If you have, yeah, 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 please. Yeah. Let us know how people can get in touch yeah. and uh, yeah. how can they can connect with you. Yeah. Um, so uh, our website is Ascent equitygroup.com. My email is pranay, P-R-A-N-A-Y at ascentequitygroup.com. And the podcast is from MD to entrepreneur and you can get it anywhere, Apple, Spotify, Google. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh